Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Simon, how are you, brother? I'm all right. A bit stressed, but there we go. I mean, uh, that's because we've still got concrete floors and uh, they're taking forever getting it sorted out and other bits and pieces with family that go on, you know. But apart from that, I'm absolutely tickety-boo. Life couldn't be better. I've um, so many new projects just waiting in abeyance because this damn virus is making everything happen so slow. But, you know, it is what it is. Do you have enough time for your family and everything with all with all your commitments, Simon? Because you are a very busy man. Um, well, I certainly was before the COVID thing. Um, but yeah, you I mean, uh, the thing with family is what people don't see is when you're not working, you're back with your family, but all they see is you're working and just assume that's what you do every day, all day. Um, but fortunately, you know, you you may work for four days and have three days off. Um, but my children are, are all much older now, you know, uh, my oldest son is married with two children. My granddaughter's running around with my wife somewhere in the house. Um, my daughter's upstairs trying to get her uni university um, uh, uh, timetable sorted out because they are supposed to send it through, but I don't think it's come through just yet. Mm. Um, so, and then my other son is in Amsterdam and uh, has just had his, his electric bike pinched. So uh, he's devastated because that costs a lot of money. And um, yeah, it, it got stolen last night. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's family problems which happen to every family, you know. Yeah. I was in um, Israel and Palestine not long back and in... Tel Aviv they've got these electronic scooters yeah and you just take one and you leave it anywhere you want <laughs> it's really weird you just you'd go about your business and when you finish you just leave it on the pavement and walk off so it was, I was on a stag do with all my mates and so everyone was on the piss <laughs> we just kept hopping on these scooters the trouble is they they normally leave them when the battery goes <laughs> So you just got a pedal. So we were, um, you got to, you know, push with your feet. So that was, uh, yeah, that was quite a sight. That would have been good comedy. I mean, I was out in Berlin early part of the year um, on a stag party. And there were loads of kids flashing around on these blinking things. Um, but it, it seems to be that other people tend to do it a bit more sensibly than we do. Um you know, because I've nearly been knocked over by them in the town centre in Cardiff and people on these electric bikes driving at 30 mile an hour, weaving in and out of, you know, it's a good job coronavirus is on at the minute because they would kill somebody. 
um, because they're just so, you know, they are essentially a motorbike. Uh, mm-hmm. They are essentially a motor scooter uh, and they are very fast and they're very dangerous. You hit somebody young or old or somebody frail or somebody big, you know, if they hit their head, they're dead. Um, but there doesn't seem to be any legislation or certainly not enough legislation around it. But I see them down the road in, in Cardiff and they're on the road and there'll be a father and he'll have two children on the scooter with him uh, or a mother with two small children on the scooter or the electric bike. And it seems that you don't have to wear a, a bike helmet on a motor electric bike, yet you do on a motorbike. That, um, sounds, like, um, that sounds like Bangkok. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this isn't Bangkok. This is a place where you'll bang your head, you'll be dead. And if you survive, you'll go to jail. Um, yes. But oh, is it not the fault of the law for not having something in place? And I'm not talking about the police. I'm talking about the law. Mm. You know, uh, is it not the, the place of the law and the government, the politicians, to actually just bring in? It, it doesn't take any time at all. If you have something that's motorized, if it's not licensed, not insured, why is it on the road? You know, uh, and I go with these um, disabled go chairs as well, you know, um, it shouldn't be on the road. It's a motorized vehicle. You know, if it's on the pavement, it's a different case. But these motorized scooters shouldn't be on a pavement. The, the disabled scooters should be, but shouldn't be on a road because, you know, if you don't see them, if you miss them, whatever it is, you know, then an accident can happen, you know, and it's all about being sensible and using the law to its best ability rather than um, trying to be bring in laws retrospectively. Let's do it now before it becomes a problem. Yes. There's more and more of these mobility aids, aren't there? And it, it makes you question, at what point are we going to start encouraging our young people to, like, actually eat healthily and get some exercise and watch a diet? And, and instead of the other way around, we just seem to cater to disability. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose. Do you know, the weird thing is when you can go and buy... 12, 1500 calories in a burger and fries and a large milkshake, and you can get about 1500 calories, which is roughly what the average person's daily intake, if you're not that active, should be. Um, if you can get that for seven pounds, and yet to have 1500 calories spread out through the day in good meals and everything else will cost you 15 or 25 pounds. Mm. Um, it's disproportionate. And something ought to be done about that side of things, because there's only one way to lose weight, and that's calorie deficit. Um, but if your calorie deficit comes at a greater cost than your heavy intake, then where are people going to go? Because people live on budgets. People live on limited budgets. People don't have the resources that some people make sound so easy. You know, I know you can eat healthily for relatively small amounts, but... 15 or 20 pounds, as we saw Marcus Rashford going on about, is a huge amount of money for some families if there's a lot of children in it. So all of a sudden, you're talking about 100 pounds a day for yeah. four children and, and two adults in a house. And that's just living on a meager, you know, a, a meager meal basis. So if you can feed them more cheaply, but it's heavily calorific, um, then you're going to have people putting on weight. And it becomes an irrespective then if, if it's up to do with exercise, because not everybody can go to a gym. Not everybody can afford a gym. 
because the gym costs money. If you can't afford to eat properly, how can you access a gym? Mm -hmm. And if the weather conditions are awful, you can't expect a 10-year-old to go out in the pouring rain and all these old people go, we used to go out with a bottle of water and a packet of bread and butter sandwiches and we used to go out in the rain in all weathers. Times are different. Mm. Times are different and ultimately, no, you didn't. No, you blinking didn't. When it was pouring with rain like that, you stayed indoors. Um, you know, it's, it's a nonsense. But we've more people on the planet than we've ever had. Um, and, and largely, you know, that's all helped by medication, medicine, big pharma companies, um, as we're seeing now, really. <clears throat> you know, um, somebody came up with a statistic the other day that there are more people on the planet than have ever died. Than have ever died. So, you know, eight or nine billion people on the planet, whatever it is, and we haven't had eight or nine billion people die in the whole history of mankind, apparently. How they worked that one out, I have no idea. Did they get the name and address of a couple of cavemen that they knew about? <laughs> you know, and uh, the Neanderthal or whatever it is that uh, Neanderthal. Or, somebody told me off for calling Neanderthal because it was T H. It's Neanderthal apparently. Um, yeah. But anyway, you're, mean, not, I, you're not going to upset many of them, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, unless you got unless you got a spade. I'm, I'm almost certain we've upset somebody because somebody's decided to miss here what I've said about motorized scooters and things like that. And I'm almost certain because there should be T-shirts going around saying, and what are we going to be upset by today? What's going to upset us and cause us grief? What are we going to be annoyed at today? There should be, you know, because it seems like everybody is so angry and everybody wants to be annoyed at something for no good reason. And their anger is so misplaced and misdirected. You know, it's like, for goodness sake, people, Give us a constructive idea about something that you, you, you're angry about rather than just being angry. You know, uh, they, they, I don't know, you know, people just getting so angry and not knowing the full details and the full ramifications of what they're up to. You know, gluing your hand to a tube train, stopping somebody going to work who may be getting paid daily wages and relies on that wage to feed their family. You know, no concern for that because they're doing the great and altruistic thing they're saving the planet. Yeah, well, I mean, the only people who are going to save planets are governments. You know, we can all campaign, we can all do our bit by not throwing away plastic and not buying plastic if we can avoid it, you know, which is very difficult in this modern world. You know, we can all do our bit by doing as much as we can in your home and when you're out and about. But in the end, as we've seen, they've banned straws, they've banned cotton buds, they've banned other plastic one-off use items that should never have even been brought in. So if they can do it, they can do it. You know, they just have to do it. You know, it, it's it's like, you know, you, you were talking about diets and people getting fitter and healthier. Um, sugar, you know, um, sugar is a great treat. It's a fabulous treat, but that's what it should be, a treat. Mm. And we need to stop having it in, in so much food, but the same as palm oil. You know, why, are we, why have we got so much palm oil in every food? People say because it makes it last longer on the shelf. Well, perhaps if people ate more fresh food, you know, then maybe the palm oil wouldn't be necessary because the palm oil is destroying forestation because it grows quickly. Um, and, you know, it, it goes against everything that the, the natural ecosystem requires. So, you know, th there's loads of things that people can, can do. Just do it. You know, yeah. governments. Do it. Don't don't talk about it now. 
we know Mr. Hattenborough, Greta Thunberg, you know, like on a loather, I mean, some people really dislike a young woman for saying her mind and being right. I don't understand why people dislike that young lady for being right. Um, you know, if she was wrong and stupid, then fine, but she's not. She's a very bright young woman who was not stupid. Uh, but conspiracy theorists, you know, I had, had somebody come on the phone or had an email sent to me from a friend who was about this woman who's going on about how it's all a conspiracy theory. COVID is a conspiracy theory. I, in this country, go and talk to 42,000 families who've lost somebody due to COVID. You know, old people die. That was the one statement this woman made. Oh, yeah, they do die. But do they need to die so suddenly and so quickly? You know, um, and it's true what part of what she said, you know, people are going to die because of COVID, not from COVID. Um, but we just, you know, we, we have to separate things and let's do our best to keep these people alive. You know, we've got this wonderful movement of Black Lives Matter, which is being hijacked by different groups of people because people have different agendas and, and people always will do that. People always will do that. Um, but lives matter. Very important to remember, you know, yes, we have to remember that people have been victimized because of birth and color of skin and just their indigenous history. But at the end of the day, you know, lives matter, people matter, and COVID is no respecter of, of race, sex, generation. You know, we've had children die of it, not many, thankfully, but we've had children die of it. And we've had all manner of different people. And they say that it's down to poverty and everything else. Well, it's not. It's a load of nonsense. Because the middle class and the affluent have died from it as well. You know, I have friends who work in different parts of the NHS. And um, they've worked on the front line and some of them very senior people. And they've been working with diplomats who've needed to be turned uh, and died. So, you know... I just wish people would focus more rather than just being angry, looking for somebody to blame. That's all it seems to be. Over the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years, 30 years, whatever it's been, people, instead of looking to take responsibility themselves for themselves, have been looking for somebody to blame. And it just seems to be that people get angry and they go, right, that person's to blame. This politician, that person, this commentator. And at the end of the day, you know, nobody's doing things deliberately you know people are getting things right and people are getting things wrong when the general public are getting as many things wrong as the scientists and the doctors and the politicians because the second they relieve and let people go about normal day-to-day -day thing people seem to take that as we can have the big raging party and have two or three hundred people turn up in a in a university and these are our future leaders Oh my God, that scares me. You know, these are the future captains of industry. They go to university to be educated, to become these very senior people. And then all of a sudden you have two or 300 of them in a crowded bar um, acting like goats. And, um, <laughs> and then when there's a big massive break, they look for somebody to blame. So I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's just one of those things. I, uh, I, I firmly believe I can only do what I can do. Um, my family can only do what we can do to keep ourselves safe. And by keeping ourselves safe, we keep other people safe. And I have a company, um, uh, the Western FM Group, 
um, which has security officers and cleaners. And, you know, for some unknown reason, people seem to look at these, these individuals who work in that industry as being lower than everybody else because they work in an office or they work in a factory or they work in a supermarket, but they look at so, so security officers as being lowly. And I think, what an insult. You know, how many people have got a qualification, have had to pay for a qualification to get a job, um, working in a supermarket or working in an office? You know, most of those people don't have a certificate that they've had to go and pay for. We respect nurses because they pay for their own certificate, you know, and they have to re-register every so often and they have to pay for that re-registration, as do security officers. And the largest proportion of people from any profession today has been security officers. So, um, you know, the only thing we can do within, within our company is keep our staff safe as possible, give them the equipment and give them the, the COVID training so that they can help the companies we work with to make sure that they are okay. And that's what we do. Um, you know, we've, we've got all our staff are COVID marshals now. All our staff are trained to the highest level that we can get them to in first aid and, you know, within the corporate sort of sphere. Um, and the cleaners as well, you know. Um, and my God, cleaners are really earning their money at this moment in time, aren't they? You know. Um, yeah, they are. But um goes against everything we were taught as kids, isn't it? A bit of dirt isn't going to hurt you and... We've had to put our foot down because they're they're slapping on this alcohol gel on five year olds in school and they're whacking it on them up to five times a day. Um, and I can't talk for anyone else, but no one's doing that to my to my child. It's not 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 just that it's alcohol, but the notion that we can clean our way into a a better state of health just we talked about the neanderthal you know we our history goes back millions uh, of you know millions uh -huh. of years and ah uh, I'm, uh, I'm probably a bit different to most people simon because i don't watch the news um i think since those events in new york 20 years ago i think that was a real wake-up call for a lot of us and I think there's a, a, a corporate agenda behind everything that we're seeing in society, right? And to see the fear they're putting into the children now, you know, yeah. there's, there's schools now requesting the parents when they pick their kids up, they all go masked up, not because there's any science behind or, or any law, but because other parents are complaining because they're scared. Yeah. And this is, I can only speak for myself, but this is not the future that I want for my beautiful, beautiful son. I want him to have the freedom that I enjoyed across 80 countries on all seven continents, loving, happy, smiling, accepting and, and, and being grateful. Yeah. And I think because our... It's difficult think, to work. It's difficult. I mean, you're trying to, on that, selling that agenda. I mean, I get it. Dirt is not going to hurt you, but it's not dirt that we're, we're worried about. Dirt isn't 
the thing that's calling people to die of respiratory diseases. You know, um, that's the difficulty we have. Yeah. My, my grandchildren out in the back garden and they kick a ball, they come and help me do the gardening, they get dirty, they get muddy. And that's great because you can wash the dirt and mud off, but they're not going to get poorly from that. But the sad thing is this is a virus. But, you know, people have made the point. Viruses have been with us forever. Um, well, yeah. allegedly, we all have this, the, the makings of virus in, in ourselves. It's part of our um, biological defence mechanism, right? Mm. And there's theories that go back 200 years and they're, they're very, um, uh, let me use the word worthwhile for want of a, a, a better word, that they, it, they completely dispute everything that we're being told at, at, mm. at the moment. And, and my point isn't to sort of cause um, argument between people. My point is, take someone like myself, Simon, right? I've eaten mainly vegetables. So my plate, if you look at my dinner plate, I can have a bit of meat if I want, fish, whatever, some potato, but my plate is mainly green veg. And as such... I haven't been ill for 17 years, right? Um, bar a, a couple of minor times when I went when I went off this diet and I went back to the typical, you know, steak and chips and, and that kind of thing, right? And so I'm highly suspicious when we've got these healthcare ministers and professionals that why are they not? Why are they not following what people like I, why, why are we not being asked? You know, um, why is it being hidden that if, if you keep your body's pH, that's your al acid alkaline balance in check with, with how we would have been for a million years of evolution. And it, it's not just in, in Homo sapien, which is hundreds of thousands of years, but like we say, we, we, we're primates. We go back a real long time and, I, I just get upset when I see all these measures being put in place and it's like, gosh, the answer is staring us in the face. Stop shoveling rubbish into your body. Stop living a sedentary lifestyle. Stop being poisoned by mainstream media. And, and let's, you know, let, let's try those things first. That that's, they're things that are sustainable and, and practical, but I'm not stupid, Simon. There's massive corporate interest behind everything we we see in life at, at the minute. Just the Greta Thunberg thing, she the finance behind her has been brought into question. The the bodies that are pushing her forward, and but I didn't really want to talk about. It. I wanted to talk about <laughs> talk about you. And I'm sorry, friends at home, if I'm, I'm talking a lot, the reason I'm saying what I'm saying is an awful lot of my subscribers are, um, you know, they're really upset, like the whole planet is at the minute. And I wouldn't be doing them a, a, a service if if I didn't sort of mention these things. But let, let, okay. let's talk about your amazing life, Simon. And I just want to say now, I said to you on the phone yesterday, this is one of the most 
honoured moments in my life. I'm going to start getting ups, ups, upset now, you know. Um, I saw that documentary they made about you when I was, what well, I would have been 13 maybe, right after the Falklands. I remember you screaming in agony. And it was, it's one thing to watch the task force go off and everyone's cheering and it's rule Britannia and our boys are going to go and smash these RGs, right? <laughs> when, yeah. when we saw your documentary, that showed us the side of the war. They didn't tell us this on the news, you know? Or on the recruiting posters. <laughs> yeah, this horrendous, I mean, those that made it back, the, the mental scars that we're only starting to sort of understand now and, and the physical scars you went through. And there's one bit on your Wikipedia page where you, your mother was walking through the hospital and she looked at you and she turned to her, her friend or relative and went, oh, look at that poor chap. And you went, mum, it's me. We can't understand this, Simon, you know, someone who hasn't gone through that. It was my grandmother, it was. But no, you mean, look, um, it is what it is. You know, you, you, you sign up in the military and it's warts and all. But now people are far more informed than they were back then. But, um, you know, just to clarify the conversation we had yesterday, I did say to you that I don't really enjoy talking too much about myself because I'm... I'm the most boring topic I know, but to other people I get it, it's, it's um, a curiosity factor. But um, yeah, you I mean, look, war, war by nature, you know, the clues in the title, you know, you've only got to look at the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. One of them is war, pestilence, famine, you know, uh, we, we look at the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, it tells you everything, uh, but war is one of them. And that will lead to death. It will lead to huge privations for somebody at some point. Fortunately, in the Falklands, it led to um, a huge turnaround in their fortunes financially, because the islands became um, the islands became much much more affluent. People, there's no unemployment unless you physically can't work or don't want to work. Uh, most people have two or three jobs. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that are millionaires down there now through many different things, but largely through fishing and agriculture. Um, so, you know, it paid off for them. Um, and a lot of people will try to politicize things. I don't care what they say. I don't care about the politics. Ultimately, there were 2000 people that needed to be liberated. 2,000 people who had the right to self-determination. They had the right to democracy. No one had the right to take that away from them. And as a dependent territory, we could have done what some wanted to do, which was to do nothing and write nasty letters. You know, it's a bit like the American police shout, stop, stop or I'll shoot. Our police shout, stop, or I'll shout stop again. And that really gets people to stop doing what they're doing, doesn't it? Telling people to stop or I'll, I'll tell you to do stop again. We had to go and do something. And there were 37,000 people that were involved in the task force. Um, and there was always going to be some calamity, some disaster. Unfortunately, I was a part of that disaster. Fortunately, I lived through it. 
tragically, I went through so much pain and anguish. And I was talking to my mother just yesterday and uh, she was telling me I was whinging one day. They were having a little bit of a shindig downstairs and I was whinging. She came halfway up the stairs, looked in my bedroom. She said, if you don't shut up, she said, I'm going to come in and I'm going to wipe that new nose of yours all over your face. And she said, all I could do was laugh. Um, like, <clears throat> nobody tells you about all of these different things. Nobody prepares you for all of these different things because conflict is an unknown. The only thing we know and we guaranteed with conflict is that young people, people are going to die. And the other thing that we know is there's nothing we can do about the first thing that we know. So all we can do then is do our best to minimize the impact later on when we get the injured casualties home, when we get the damaged minds back home and minimize the impact they have on families and the broader community. Because sadly and tragically, some of these guys and the girls have had impacts on their family that nobody knew way back when now we do know but they also have a, an impact on the wider community and we we have to do something to protect everybody including the person who's been to conflict so we need to protect everybody and we have the tools we have the knowledge um and as we've seen through the pandemic which seems like we've got an unlimited amount of money that we can borrow um but what that does do it it beggars the point as to why do we need so many charities to take care of veterans and their families when we could have accessed the money at any one point you know it's a point to raise um but i i strongly believe that when it comes to mental health and this goes right across the board it's the biggest single illness on the planet mental health um you know you've only got to look at what's going on in the middle east with the civil disputes, the ISIS and all of those. And anybody that buys into ISIS doctrine, um, you know, you, you see in Africa, we have all of those guys there and what they've done, kidnapping all them girls from a school, basically because they became breeding women. That's what they were for, because they knew they couldn't guarantee to recruit so that they had to create their own recruits for the future. Um, so, you know, th this is, these are all the things that we need to try and address, you know, there's so much that can be done and could be done. But unfortunately, as you alluded to earlier, if it doesn't suit financial houses and ultimately all this stops with the banks, you know, the financial houses, um, they control everything. They control the world. They control how we live. Um, you know, the, somebody said a long time ago that what they wanted to do was to microchip everybody so that they could restrict how much access they had to their own funds, because that way then they could control how people lived. Um, it would stop one thing, but it would never stop the, the very, very wealthy getting very, very wealthier. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it, it's about greed, you know, um, how much is enough? You know, we see the guy that owns Amazon, good luck to him, you know, he's, he's worked hard, he's been very fortunate, his business really did work, um, you know, but he's worth however many hundreds of billions. That means, that if he's worth 200 billion, he could spend 2 billion a year on absolutely nothing of real worth, but be dead before he could spend it all. Exactly. And a lot of these individuals, uh, they're born into such privilege and such wealth. They, they're born with enough money that you and I couldn't spend if we had 
a thousand lifetimes. I and wouldn't know what to spend on. <laughs> I wouldn't know what. I mean, I've sat down and thought if I won, when there was the, the lottery was up 110 or 140 million or whatever it was. And uh, I thought, because I bought a ticket and I thought, what happens if I win? You I mean I could spend a million pound a year and I'd be dead before the money ran out. And it's sort of like, wow, that means, look, at that is such powerful money. And ultimately, I don't want a big yacht. What do I want a load of sports cars for? You know, I need one car because I've only got one bum. I can only sit in one car at a time. All the rest is just, it's extravagance, you know. And yeah. uh, the footballer who plays for Liverpool, he walks around, he's got a phone that's all the screen is shattered because he's dropped it. He drives a relatively normal car and uh, gives a load of his money away to African children. Um, as does, you know, the, the guy Balotelli, you know, who everybody is insulted and called a lunatic, but half of his wages, he, he donates to African villages and children. Um, so, you know, when is enough enough? Yes. When is enough enough? You know, um, don't get me wrong. I'd like to have a penny more than I could spend. But, you know, I don't know how much I could spend because I've never had more than, <laughs> than I've got. So, um you know, and people sort of have this delusion about people who they see in the public eye that they get paid vast fortunes for everything they do and how wrong you are. Only only superstars get that sort of treatment. The rest of us, we're lucky if we get £150 or something to go on a television programme. Um, you know, you get nothing virtually for being on radio shows. You know, you might get £20 or something. Um, but, you know, if you're fortunate enough to be Mr Beckham, um you know, and, and, and I'm only pulling him out because he's so famous, not because of anything else, because he's an extremely nice guy, very altruistic guy, gives a huge amount to charity, does a huge amount for a lot of people that goes unseen. Um, and he is just a very pleasant man, um, you know, but he is so, 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 so fortunate that everything worked out in, in the right way for him. Um, but, you know, I, I look at people and think, when is enough enough? Mm. When is enough enough, you know? Uh, why, why is it, you know, that people seem to want to have so, 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 so much more? Because they don't do so, so, so much more with it or so, so much more benevolent for other people. I mean, I, I like, I like the, the guy um, from uh, Apple, not Apple, um, what's his name? Uh, Bill Gates. I love what he's doing with his wife and his foundation in Africa. And, you know, they've given huge amounts to charity, but he still could spend five million 10 million a year for the rest of his life and still not spend his wealth. Um, you know, but he has said that he's only going to give his children so much money. You know, they're going to get 10 million or something or a million or something. That's all he's going to leave them in his will. And that's all they're getting because he, he doesn't want it to ruin them. Um, you know, so it, there are altruistic, benevolent people in the world who have thought about these things. But my my biggest concern is, you know, you, you look at all these people that um, have so much money that they've gained illicitly, and then they're putting it through the banks and the clearing houses and washing their money and nobody knows where it's gone. You know, um, and what's that all about? You know, I, I transferred 50 pound to my son's girlfriend in in Amsterdam. 
And, um, and because she wasn't on our list of contacts, uh, it's his birthday. So we were buying him something. He doesn't know he's getting and his girlfriend bought it, but we gave her the money. And we've been checked then for international money transfers and all this business. It was 50 quid, yeah. you know? And we know there are 50 millions going through lots of bank accounts right now as we're speaking that has been gained illegally. Um, so I, I don't know, you know, it's when is enough enough? When is enough enough? Exactly. And once you find paradise in your head, friends at home, you, you don't you don't need all that money because people trying to accumulate all this wealth think that they it's going to get them to paradise. But paradise is in 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 your head. And I know you must have found that, Simon, on your journey. I, I have found friendship, love and kindness to be far more rewarding. Um, I mean, I, I live a very happy life. I really do. Um, and I find friendship and, and love far, far more rewarding. There's nothing I like more than sitting down listening to music or reading a good book, mm. um, sitting with friends, uh, going to the office and chatting to the staff. You know, I, I enjoy all of that because um, the conversations that I'm not getting when I'm at home. You know, uh, they're different people, different voices, different thought processes. And I enjoy all of that. Mm. I do enjoy all of that. You know, you're quite right. The happiness that you have is in your own head. It's between your two ears. It's the top two inches, whatever you want to say. But if you keep reading the papers and you keep looking at the, the, the media on your phone or on your iPad, and you keep reading and they're telling you how rich this one person is or how fabulously wealthy those people are. And it's almost like telling you to, to doubt yourself, to, mm. to feel a failure because you haven't achieved this. You haven't done this. And it's like, how dare you? How, you, how dare you compare my life to those lives? You know, there was a beautiful young uh, Japanese actress. I can't think of her name, I've never seen her before, programs she's been involved in, films she's done, I've never watched. But I saw the pictures of her, she's a beautiful girl, beautiful smile, and she had all the endorsements, all the advertising contracts. She was 40, 41, something like that. Two beautiful children, husband, and she killed herself. Yeah. She had all the, the trappings of wealth that all these young people perceive they're gonna get. And what do they do? They pick up their phone and they're, and they're giving it all the trout pout. There's young girls of 14, 15 have had more plastic surgery than I've had, you know, um, and their lips are out here and they look like they've been stung or kissed a bumblebee. You know, you think to yourself, what is it you think you're achieving? And by reading all the media about all these, oh, this, this actress is, oh, look at the beautiful figure she has now. So you're telling us and you're telling her that she looked, like something else and yeah. she was worthy of, a, of attraction and beauty and and that respect you know the, the way that it's being turned it's all for the the beauty industry for all the the cosmetic industry you know god the amount of money people spend on magazines on how to stay slim you know it's a simple philosophy calorie deficit and the biggest weight you need to lift mm. to lose weight is the one you sit on off the couch. 
that's the biggest weight you need to lift. Lift your bum off the couch and go and do some sweating. And only by walking, if you walk three or four miles a day, you know, you're not, ta- I'm not talking about excessive walking. I'm not talking about speed walking. Although I do a little bit of walking and try to get a bit of a faster walk pace on than I would normally. Um, but at the end of the day, you can lose so much weight by moderating your intake and moving your derriere off the couch. Lift your bum. Once you get up and start, it becomes easy then. But the hardest thing is to get up and start, mm. you know. Um, but it, it, it's like so many things. I mean, I, I, I enjoy my life. I enjoy going out and meeting people. I, I do a lot of the motivational speaking, been doing it for years, go to the corporate events. And I love meeting people. I love people that um, come up to you afterwards and say, do you know, I've had self-doubt about this, that, or the other, and people have talked about their appearance, and I've talked to people about not liking who they are, but really you should like who you are. Like who you are. You know, you may not like certain aspects of your life, but that doesn't matter. Like who you are. If you don't like you, you could end up in a relationship where the partner you choose, that partner doesn't really like you that much then there's two of you in the same relationship that don't like you. Oh my God, at least start off at 50% <laughs> of benefit to you. Like who you are. You know, we none of us are perfect. We none of us are excellent at things. The way I look at it is nobody in life is better than me. There are plenty of people in this world that are better at things than me. There's people who can run faster, jump higher, do mathematics better, retain information far longer, know history more, understand science and physics and understand certain aspects of life far, far better than I. But at the end of the day, it doesn't make them better than me. It just makes them better at things than me. So I walk into a room and I don't, I don't care if people don't like my appearance. If they don't like it, there's the door, you can leave. I'm not going anywhere. I've been asked to be here. I don't just push my way in. I don't try and force my way into other people's company. I'm not that kind of guy. But at the end of the day, wherever I go, whatever I do, I'm going to like me. And if, if other people have a problem with that, then that's their problem. It really is. But like who you are. Enjoy. Enjoy the moments of joy you have. Because life is about drudgery. In between the highs and the lows the excitement and the huge highs and the huge lows, there's great tranches of drudgery of where you just talk about things, you chat about things, you have a cup of tea, you enjoy that, but you know, what? just normal. But then you can have a biscuit or a sandwich. Enjoy that because there are people in the world who can't. So you're actually, you know, you're living the dream. You just got to change your your philosophy on things, change your, your outlook on things. Sometimes, just sometimes, we have these huge highs, and that's, you know, weddings, children being born, uh, winning a foot race at the age of 55. Um, I don't know, your children succeeding, meeting somebody they fall in love with, having grandchildren in your life that you adore. Um, you know, there, there, there are highs, but there are lows and there will always be extreme lows. But in the middle of it all, it's drudgery. It's normal life. So don't beat yourself up 
if you're not feeling ultra elated all the time. Nobody ever does. Mm. Nobody ever does. And, you know, and I don't care who you are, even the greatest comedians, you know, the song, The Tears of a Clown. That's all about somebody who's loved by everybody, but doesn't see it. Who's everybody expects to be funny and wise and witty all the time. But they go home and they cry. They're sad. And I've known lots of comedians who have been like that. You know, they're happy out on stage, but afterwards they go back and no, it's not the same. So don't, don't live with that feeling that you've got to be, yay, look at me, I'm the best in the world, I'm buzzing. No, you're not. Nobody ever is, nobody can. If you walk down this high street every day and you're smiling at everybody, before long, somebody with a butterfly net is going to come and take you away. Because <laughs> <laughs> there is nobody in the world that is that content or happy. You can be content. You can be happy. You just don't have to force it and try and make everybody else see it. You know, um, it's, it's crazy. You, 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 you're defeating yourself because you can only keep that up for so long and you become exhausted. You can become exhausted. You know, I, I um, there are little things that make me happy. Little things. Oh, why do I need massive things? I remember one of the greatest feelings in the world was was my mother. She she got a massive heart attack. That wasn't the point that made me happy, by the way. What made me happy was the fact that she had surgery, and it was a raging success. But it took nearly two years to get her back to herself. And now she's, you know, she's firing on all cylinders. But the feeling of joy of being able to take your mother out, go with your mother shopping, and she wasn't at risk of catching a cold and it hurting her. You know, much like it is today, you know, um, I saw my mother and I, I, I can't go anywhere with her. I couldn't even give her a hug, you know, because she's scared of catching COVID. Mm. Albeit that we think she's already had it. But the fact of the matter is, She's frightened. And that's the scary thing about all of this. You know, there, there always seems to be huge negativity around it all. Not enough positivity. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's scaring people from going out or living their lives. And that concerns me greatly. You know, it seems that we're being controlled by fear um, rather than but I suppose with people's attitude to it and, you know, the, you see the ambivalent attitude that a lot of um, people who have been told they're not susceptible to this virus are taking. Well, you know, they may not die from it, but they can certainly spread it. You know, in a Welsh hospital just recently, eight people died and 82 people contracted coronavirus. They can trace at least 32 people to one patient who went in for some reason. Um, and was asymptomatic. So unbeknownst and totally innocently, uh, that person spread it. And we don't know how many, they didn't announce how many died from that contact. But, you know, it's, it's a terrible thing if that person actually has to live with the knowledge that they spread something that they, they didn't even know they had. You know, so what we just need is people to be more responsible and more sensible with it. Um, and, and just, be more patient. I know it's frustrating for everybody. You know, my work has been wiped off the planet with my motivational speaking. Um, 
and unfortunately, you know, that's just the way it is. You know, it's not something I want. It's affecting my whole family. But at the end of the day, uh, if it means keeping people safe, then keeping people safe is far more important because each and every person who's watching this, um, they're valuable. Their whole lives and their whole family's lives are valuable. They're important. They're all important people. You know, people have VIP lists and all the rest of it. The world's full of VIPs. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't see themselves as that. Mm. But you know, those of us who do take this with a degree of seriousness about, you know, yeah, keep the social distancing. Let's try not to spread it. You know, let's children be children, for goodness sake. If, if everything we're told is absolutely true, then let children run around with it. You know, they'll grow stronger and they'll be more immune to it as they get older. But, you know, it, it really is, though, you know, um, people just need to be sensible. Play the game. Play the game. Simon, I've got to ask you, what was worse, getting blown up or not being a Royal Marine? <laughs> How do they say it? Hit the beach, Marine. Naughty, naughty beach. Um, <laughs> they, yeah, normally no. say, they normally say, what instrument do you play, Royal? <laughs> yeah. Well, they all, they all seem to stay in forever, don't they, um, Marine bandsmen? They all seem to do 500-year careers. Um, do you know, I tell you what, getting injured was was not good really wasn't losing 48 friends and colleagues that was horrendous um and lives with me to this day but in a weird sort of way i take solace from that because whenever my day is feeling pretty ropey or crap i look around and i think there are 48 men on board my ship that would love to have my problems yes and you know there are 48 families out there would love to have that person with my problems. So there's an extended bunch of people who would love to have those problems. Um, so it's it's small comfort, but it is comfort all the same. But I miss those guys and I miss one or two very, very much. Um, and the weird, the weird thing about it all is that it wasn't the worst thing that ever happened to me. It wasn't the worst thing that ever happened in my life because the worst thing was losing my father and my grandfather within five days. That was horrendous um, because you didn't even have a chance to grieve for one when you were starting to grieve for the other. Mm -hmm. um, and they were two men I, I, I loved dearly. Um, so, you know, that, those were the worst things. We've already talked about mental health. Um, nothing was done for us mentally, you know, um, and it was for me to find a way through it myself and with other people that were in my world. And I suppose I've been very fortunate because I'm so positive about most things um, that positive people come towards me. You know, it's true what they say, you know, if you put a bunch of Marines in the room and nobody knew they were all Marines and there was a million other people, those Marines would all find each other. Because <laughs> a like mind will find a like mind. And if you're, if you put a, a, a thousand marine, a thousand paratroopers in a room, this is what they say, and it's true, by the way. If you don't know their paratroopers, give them five minutes. You soon will, because they, <laughs> they aren't <laughs> shy. 
you can tell it. you can tell the Marines because they're the ones all wear, wearing women's dresses. Well, there is that to it as well. Yes, yeah, slingback rallies. Um, you know, we 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 won't we won't go into that too much. You know, <laughs> but it, it's like I mean, the the war was what it was. Um, you know, in many ways, it brought the Marines back to public attention. It certainly brought the paras back to public attention, um, and and even the guards. Uh, you know, the the the, the weird thing is. What I've discovered is with all the training that people go through, when it comes down to it, everybody's as good as everybody else. Whether you go through the extreme harshness of, of military training as the Marines, the Paras, and the Guards to a certain extent do, um, the fact of the matter is you, you look at the Scottish regiments, the, the Anglians, you look at the Yorkshire regiment, you look at all the Green Jacket, the Light Infantry regiments, they all are as good as each other. They all, when it comes to a firefight, have covered themselves in extreme glory. Go back to the Balkans and the Royal Welsh Fusiliers won the most medals, gallantry medals, in one day since the Second World War. Um, and how many people had ever heard of the Royal Welsh Fusiliers until they were being disbanded and uh, being subsumed into the Royal Welsh Regiment? Um, so, you know, you look at all of these things. Regimental rivalry is a great thing. Core regiment service rivalry is a brilliant thing. And the reason being is because we all think we're the best. Mm. You know, the difference is between everybody else and the guards, we know we're the best. So, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, and anyway, the Marines are only floating guardsmen. You came from the Coldstream Guards, they were the first floating Marines, floating soldiers. Um, so the guards are still on top. Uh, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's rivalry and it's good. It's good to have, and I love it. I love the banter, you know. I, 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 love, I love the healthy insults because you only, you only, we only insult each other because we respect each other. But you know, we're, we're not the sort of breed that go around putting our arm around each, each other's shoulder, going, "God, you're a great bunch of boys. What a great <laughs> red." That never happens, and even inside regiments, you never go, "Oh, what a great platoon you lot are." What a great company you lot are. The first thing you do is insult everybody to death because it's a term of endearment within the military. Yeah. You know, if, if you didn't respect them, you wouldn't even talk about them. You wouldn't even acknowledge their existence because that's the way we are. Um, but there's a huge amount of admiration for all different branches of the forces because they all have unique traits. They all have unique abilities. But the biggest thing they have is that esprit de corps and professionalism. You know, they all care about each other within that unit and their professionalism is second to none across the globe, across the globe. And um, the, one of the things I was talking to some people who ended up working with um, people from the Eastern Bloc and um, they were all working around nuclear facilities and they were all doing quite a tricky job politically and the one thing the Eastern Bloc countries all said, the soldiers that were working there, they said, we love working with the British. And the reason they love working with the British more than anybody else is because the British were fair. Hmm. They were fair and they were open and they were never trying to, to supplant anything. They were never trying to beat people or to undermine them. They just wanted to get the job done and they wanted it done properly. And that's what other countries feel about the British. 
is that when it comes to working with them, they like them because they're fair and they work hard. They're honest, but they're professional as well. Um, and there's a huge amount of decency. I get quite upset when you listen to some very, I don't know, right on groups. And they go on about British service people, about this, that and the other. And the fact that, you know, um, innocents can get hurt. They never, ever talk about the humanitarian work that British service people do. They never talk about the, the vast amount of efforts they put into saving life. They all want to cherry pick what the arguments are instead of looking at service people and saying, you know, damn, there's some fine people in there. There's some wonderful people. The medical people, bar none, right the way across the spectrum from the Navy, Army, Air Force, they are incredible people. And they're selfless and courageous. You know, you look at that young girl who got the military cross for um, saving soldiers in the field. And she was a young Navy medic. She was only about 18, 19, 20. She's only a young woman. Unbelievably brave, professional, dedicated, and saved lives. And got awarded correctly. You know, and, and I, I, I don't see any of that being told. I don't see any of that being talked about. You know, down in the Falklands, there was one padre who leapt from trench to trench or armed with nothing but a book and a faith. That's all he did. And he was jumping to see the guys, helping medically, doing what he could do. But he never picked up a gun. Mm. And nobody ever talks about that aspect of people that wear a uniform and the humanity that's there. You know, the fact that we cry. You know, the, the people seem surprised to find out soldiers break down in floods of tears when they hear terrible, sad stories. There was a friend of mine who, who died recently, far too early. And he, um, they had the funeral and it was at this, this hotel. And they were big men, you know, I'm being guards. I mean, I'm 5'10", I was in the smallest company, the shortest men in my, in my battalion. So I'm 5'10", and I'm looking around and there's guys six foot four, six foot five, six foot three, big heavy men crying like babies you know that's the bit that people don't see that's the people the bit that people don't know about us we're just human beings we choose a career we don't choose the conflict that's chosen for us and we go and we do these things and we do it with a strong heart a stout heart but we try to save lives as much as we end up having to do the worst part of the job which is to take life, but you take life in support of others and trying to save your own and your comrades' lives because the enemy don't care. The enemy are just doing what they do. And all we are trying to do is stop them from perpetrating evil. Um, but, you know, people want to take a different slant on that. Uh, but there will always be those people. But they will never denigrate the memories of the people that I served with the people that I've met who did so many incredible things across many different theatres of conflict, they will never ruin their memory or sully it or make us feel that we are lesser. You know, just because people want to wear a white poppy, that's entirely up to them. They're allowed to do it because of the democracy that we and people like us defended. The right to be able to make your own self-determination. We defended that. You know, there's no pen, no amount of paper, no amount of ink has ever protected any of that. It was down to people going, risking their lives and paying the ultimate sacrifice. Mm. Um, and you will never denigrate the memory of those incredible people that I served with. 
Um, and, and I'm proud to have done that. You know, I didn't want to be injured. But like I said, it wasn't the worst thing that ever happened to me because it allowed me to talk to people like you to make my points of view known and clear. Um, and if anybody doubts what I mean, please contact me again so I can make it even more clear to you. But I don't think that I've been um, ambiguous about my statements, about how I feel about the people that I serve with and my respect for those who still serve. You know, um, different breed today but every bit as professional, if not probably more professional in many ways, um, because of the equipment they use and the training they get, which is superior to the one that we had uh, when we went. But um, courage, you know, as somebody said on a T-shirt, fear is a reaction, courage is a choice. And, and when you have that in your heart and your mind and you understand that that's what you, you exuded when you did what you did, then you know the truth because, yeah, how many people, <laughs> Marines, how many high wires have you guys done and done without being scared? But you still did it because mm. that's called courage. Fear is a reaction. You've, I mean, there's no way in the world you'll get me sliding down a big high wire on my face, one foot anchored over a rope, holding onto it and sliding down it to the bottom with no real safety net at all. There's no way in the world you'd get me doing that. And that's not out of fear. That's not out of courage. That's out of common sense. There's no way. But how many guys, you probably did it. You know, that's courage. It's overcoming your fear and doing it anyway. And that's what courage is. Firemen show it, police officers show it, ambulance service personnel, fire personnel, the lifeboat people, Coast Guard, the nursing staff in hospital, they're all terrified of this blinking virus, yet they still do their job. Doctors, you know, courage is there amongst so many people. You know, let's look at it sensibly. The general public, there are more heroes there. They've just never been tested to find it. Yes. You know, you look at the Second World War, the First World War, the people who won the Second World War, or saw it through to the bitter end, um, and it's called a victory. But at the end of the day, when we go to conflict, everybody loses. But at the end of the day, when they went to those conflicts, the people who saw it through to the bitter end, very few of them were the regulars. Most of them were the conscripts, because the regulars had all died in the first year or two of the, of the fighting, because mm. they were the first line. But everybody else after that, they were the conscripts, they were the people who volunteered afterwards, who were teachers, bakers, butchers, candlestick makers. You know, they were the ordinary people of life. And there were many, many women who, who fought in the resistance, who were very, very well trained. Some were betrayed as, as, as a trade-off. Um, but, you know, these, these women who fought in the resistance, who did incredible things, and we never talk about them anywhere near I, enough. I think, Simon, the resistance was the, the level of courage that they had to display or they had to own is way above the rest because every day that they were alive, they had that fear that someone might have fingered them, that the Gestapo oh. would have come and grabbed them and they would have been tortured to death then. And, yeah. and, and it... 
and it, it was that was quite likely. I mean, if you're living in a small village and, and you're resistance, you only need one person to shop you. And there's, as we said before, there's too many um, cowards in the world. Yeah, they they and the, the, the Norwegians that came to this country trained as commandos and then got parachuted back behind enemy lines and and our commandos knowing that there's a quite a big chance they're not coming back and if they're caught as a commando instant death death penalty uh, or after you've been tortured then it's the death penalty it's yeah it's a level of courage isn't it that i think a lot of people in today couldn't really they they have no reference points with which to understand that I suppose it's called a priority of importance, isn't it? You know, how important do you put on, and what sort of importance do you put on peace? What sort of importance do you put on people's lives? What sort of importance do you put, put on freedom? And I talked about it, um, the right to self-determination, democracy. You know, the, the terms that people talk about now and they say that we aren't getting them in this country for one reason or another, people have no, no idea what they're really talking about. Because on a scale of what was taken away during the Second World War or in places like Vietnam and in, in Korea where, you know, one belief or one system was trying to uh, impose itself on others. You know, you look at all of those things and you think to yourself, the importance and the understanding of what we've got now, where you can register your complaint continuously whereas people were put to death for complaining, you know, and, and you're quite right, those resistance people that worked in all manner, and even in the Falklands, you know, we, we had resistance workers down there as well. Um, when, when you have them and they go to bed at night and you don't know whether you're going to be woken up with a jackboot in your face uh, and dragged away, tortured and tortured beyond all possible belief by the Nazis and the Gestapo, um, you know, you know, you, you talk about names like Claudette, who was was treated abysmally. There's an incredible film, but there's there's several women that were talked about, um, and I met one of them, and um, and she said to me, she said, and this was at the Imperial War Museum, and she stood there and she said, "Oh, what a wonderful thing to meet you, and you're so brave, and you know, you're what this, that, and the other." And she was, and I was, I was almost in tears, not because I'm over humble but I felt so embarrassed talking to this woman who had done so much and been brutalized. But she did say something to me. I said, how did you cope? And she said, whilst they were doing what they were doing to me and they were doing it every day, you know, whether it be the torture or the physical abuse, and we won't go into all the different things that you can do to dehumanize people. But anyway, she said, when they were doing it, all I thought about, the only pictures in my mind were of my three children. They couldn't take those pictures away. And, and she survived. And, uh, and I will never forget that meeting that we had on the steps of the Imperial War Museum. And just meeting this unbelievable, a little woman in, in actual size, but in stature, a giant. And I, I listened to her and then she's being so, so complimentary to me. And I'm looking at this woman and I thought, well, I got injured doing my job. 
you got tortured for doing your job and people were deliberately hurting you and yet she had that that calm about her you know whether it was forgiveness she never said she forgive forgive anybody but um it was just it, it was massive you know and things moments like that moments like that change your life and if they don't you know maybe you're missing the point mm. but I, I i i've met some incredible people i i know the two the two johns from tornado down from the first gulf war mm. and um to listen to those two guys talk you know the two very very different characters but two exceptional characters all the same you know I'm but sorry, I just, I'm just looking because that book is on my shelf over there, over there somewhere. Oh, yeah. there it is, yeah. Yeah, John, John Peters and John Nickel, isn't it? Yeah, they're both friends of mine now. We met each other after it all, obviously. But you listen to the stories they tell about the torture they went through and underwent, you know, um, and then cowering under a desk when our bombs were falling around that place. You know, you had all these... Um, we were bombing the police station they were held in. And they didn't know whether they would live or die. And how the two of them have come out of it as balanced as they have, it beggars belief. But two incredible men, two incredible men. Simon, it, it beggars belief having to eject from a bloody fighter, from, from a bomber jet. <laughs> they, right? they didn't. Know. They, didn't. They, they crash landed. And Did jumped. they? Yeah, they jumped out. They were on land. And um, as they tell it, how true it is, I don't know, but they pulled the ripcord on a, on a dinghy <laughs> inflated in the middle of a desert. And um, John Nickel was telling me that John Peters, because obviously when they eject, they have a knife and a pistol. That's all they have. And uh, he said, John Peters pulled a pistol as these Iraqis with AK-47s which were eating up the sand around them with open fire, 7.62 rounds everywhere, which would take the arm off you. <laughs> They're shooting away. And John Peters, he said, he pulled out a nine millimeter pistol. He said, if you don't put that away, he said, I'll shoot you myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're very funny men, very, mm -hmm. very funny men and very articulate men. Um, and, and a joy to be around as well. Uh, you, you, you know, if you ever get a chance to to get them on this podcast, you ought to because they are. Oh, I'd, I'd love to. Again, this is part of my dream come true, Simon, to speak to to you, amazing people. And you know, I I read these books for a reason because I'm I'm passionate about life. I, I love people's stories, and um, you won't get me watching soap operas. Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't watch. I don't watch Orange Housewives from some strange county. That's what you were. Um, that means nothing <coughs> to you. Probably never even seen the title. But it, uh, but anyway, all these women who've had God alive, they look like um, caricatures of of um, uh, of the Muppet Show, you know, with all these huge lips and overdone hairdos and this. Yes. So it's a shame someone can't just get them young and tell them we're all we're we're all born beautiful under Mother Nature. All of us. We you don't need anyone watching our young people. You're beautiful as you are, and you got to learn to love yourself unconditionally. 
and forgive um, yourself unconditionally and move on and smile and get in that get out there and smash it like like this gentleman clearly has do you know there's a thing in life yeah go out there work hard chase your dreams but along the road don't forget to be happy and enjoy yourself mm. you know i i grew up i i wore glasses as a kid i have to have them now to read or to do things like this um but then again i'm 59 um, but I was always a heavy child and, and now I'm still slightly overweight, but I work hard at keeping fit. And, uh, you know, I, I go to the gym three times a week. Um, I get out on the road walking as much as I can. Um, so I, I'm relatively fit. But at the end of the day, when all things go wrong, smile. <laughs> because there's no point in going overboard and getting so wound up because when big things happen you can't stop it big things are going to happen like this this terrible pandemic that's going on right now lots of lovely people innocent people sweet people are passing away lots of other people are being left with long-term problems because of it respiratory problems and other things but the same with asthma people are born with the same with the flu 10 8 9 10,000 people a year die with the flu um there's all sorts of terrible things out there so whatever there is the big things whether they be viruses or whether they be wars or whatever we're not going to stop them we're not because whatever the reason they what they happen they happen so whilst you're out there fighting to enjoy your life and everything else do stop and enjoy yourself be happy learn to smile and don't take things too seriously there are things to take seriously of course there are but the rest of it don't take yourself too seriously don't don't get so caught up in things thinking i'm responsible i can change the world if you're responsible for something put your hand up and say yeah me too i did i got it wrong admit your feelings admit your faults the quicker you do it the quicker we move forward bearings bank crashed because one man didn't put his hand up soon enough to admit his fault and it, <laughs> yes um so lots of people lost their savings lost their livelihoods lost lots of things and all one man had to do when he made a mistake when he gambled too much in the stock market if he'd have put his hand up and gone hey i've cocked it up i know i'm going to lose my job but hopefully I'll save everybody else by letting everybody know. But he didn't. He kept pressing on and pressing on and wiped the whole bank off the face of the earth, which may be a good or a bad thing. I'm not sure. Um, but at the end of the day, take ownership of your own problems and your mistakes, but also own your happiness. It's up to you to own it, to make it happen. You know, and if you can't just go out and be happy on your own, then find people who make you happy. Mm. Find people who are, don't buy into this bulldust about people who are head workers and try to make you think that they are the savior and that they are the, the new Messiah. Don't go looking for those ones. Go for the people who know how to enjoy themselves, who know how to work hard and play hard. Mm. And if, if, if anything that I learned from the military, if anything that was of any real use, that's it. Work hard play hard, enjoy your friends, because in the military we did. And the, one of the big things with that is you didn't know how long you had your friends or whether how long they had you. Yeah. So you can, you can go out and have a great time, 
Don't take drugs because drugs is a temporary fix to a long-term problem. And ultimately you become addicted and you become a slave to the, the narcotics. The same with alcohol. You can enjoy a glass with family and friends. You can enjoy a glass with a meal, but don't become a slave to it because it will beat you. You can't beat it. Nobody beats drugs or alcohol. You can enjoy the alcohol. The only drugs you should ever take are the ones that are prescribed because they're there to help you overcome whatever it is your body can't fight at the time. But other than that, be happy. Enjoy yourself. Make your own enjoyment. You know, there's nothing I like more than when the sun comes out and it's beating down in my back garden and I get out the paddling pool and I fill it up with air and water and I throw my grandchildren in. <laughs> there's nothing more wonderful than the squeals of children and listening to them have a great time and we have a barbecue and, you know, family and friends. There's nothing I enjoy more. Nothing I enjoy more. And I can't find better scenery anywhere mm. in the world than the scenery I can find in Wales. I don't have exactly. to get I don't have to get on a plane to do yeah. it. Oh, well, there's other scenery to enjoy, but there's none better. You know, and, and you can go around Britain and enjoy it. So all this we can't fly here, we can't fly there. Don't worry about it. I mean, those places will still be there when planes and air companies are all back up and running and charging us fortunes to get somewhere. You know, they'll still be there. But for the time being, enjoy your own country. Enjoy the people. Well, when you can, because you <laughs> with lockdowns and everything else, you can't travel around. But at least you will be able to. You know, this is yes. a wonderful with wonderful people. And a stranger is only a friend you haven't met yet. You know, if you go through life treating people like you want to be treated, okay, you're going to meet some jerks. Of course you are. But at the end of the day, the majority of people are lovely. And they are kind and they will try and help you. And I, I've come across that so, so much. You know, and it's not because I've been in the public eye because there's a huge amount of young people out there. I've never, ever heard my name. Because time has moved on. It's 38 years since I got blown up and a lot of water under the bridge but i i can tell you now give people a chance mm. give people a chance and if people let themselves down then they've let themselves down but don't let yourself down be kind be kind to as many people as you can because that'll bear that'll bear more good fruit than than anything else you know kindness is never underappreciated there's always somebody that'll remember a moment when you were kind to them. And um, especially in this current climate, I always say, just think of yourself, you're either a person who pushes someone towards suicide or you're a person that pulls them away and there's no middle ground. There's no like, hey, I'm, don't get me involved in this. In every relationship, that smile you give someone in the morning might just be the thing that, makes their day, isn't it? It makes their day a bit easier. Oh, without a doubt, you know. that. I, that that's the thing I don't get about social media, you know. Um, it does a huge amount of good. It really does, you know. I'm not one of these old fogies that says it's, it's awful. Um, it does an awful lot of good. It keeps people in touch. But what I don't understand is these people who get some sort of thrill and maybe it's down to their lack of ability with the opposite sex or the people they want to impress 
um, that they feel that they've got to be a bully to, to try and force some sort of pain on other people. Um, people have tried it with me, but they'll wait till hell freezes over by the, before they win that battle. Um, I've been insulted by experts and trust me, very few of them are experts. They're just idiots and fools. And sadly, we've seen far too many of them utilizing the, these incredible tools that we've been given to communicate and to do some good. You know, there are, I, I, I honestly traveled America, South America, I've traveled all over the globe, met wonderful people, Europe, all parts of Europe, met wonderful, wonderful, kind people, generous to a fault, even in the middle of the Balkans war, refugees who were in a, in a, in a camp and they were giving me their last bottle of beer. And I was embarrassed to take it, but I was told by the people I was with, the UNHCR and all of those, they'll be more offended if you don't take it. Yeah. You know, and, and I found that really hard to, to, to grasp, but I understood it. Yeah, I understood it. And I, 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 I've just loved, I've just loved going around the world and even meeting people. I remember I was uh, with a, a journalist. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of her name now. And she was incredible. And we stopped next to a, uh, an old burnt out VW van on the way to... Um, uh, on the way to uh, Srebrenica, we were on the way, and we were taking aid, and we'd raised all this money, and we were taking this aid to to these children in the mountain villages and everything else, and um, we stopped for a short while, and this woman got out of the car, and there was a young gypsy girl in this burnt out VW with a, a brand new baby, she took off a big overcoat and gave it to her. Mm. Now, they never saw each other again. How much difference did that act of kindness have? How much did it... How, if it didn't make a big difference on the gypsy girl and didn't make a, a big difference to my friend who was the journalist, it made a big difference to me. I saw an uncoerced, moment of just unbridled kindness and it was freezing but she gave her coat to somebody else mm. um, and her son was with us at the time and he he was a, training to be a journalist and it was just magnificent what a gesture um, and I witnessed so many different acts of kindness you know um, where where people had had done different things and helped different people. Um, you know, it, it's it's far too big a story to go into. I haven't got time right now, but it's a story I'd love to tell people that from the beginning to the end, mm. you know, of, of what it was like and in the hotel when we were in the hotel and all these mullers and all their armed bodyguard came in. You know, they were having a big powwow in the hotel and then later on that night, the hotel we were in got shelled. Um, which again was was scary, but was funny. You know, it just had maybe just a sort certain type of mentality that finds things funny. And I, I sort of kind of found that funny. I was laughing on top of the ship when I got blown up um, because of what people were saying and the things people were doing. And I just found it really funny. You know, I was the worst injured, and and I'm sitting there, and I'm obviously. At that moment in time, I wasn't dying, but I was, it, it was the beginning of me dying. And um, I was really, really unwell. But people just were doing stupid things and saying silly things. 
and it just got me giggling. Um, and I, I suppose you're, you're either that mentality, and I suspect you remember people and when times got tough and in your training and different times when you were out doing your jobs and whatever, and it's cold and it's wet and it's hard and you're thirsty, you're hungry, you're sweating, you're freezing, whatever it is you're doing, and somebody says or does something, and you have this, this overarching urge to just belly laugh, and you laugh so much that the, the back behind, the, behind your ears starts to ache. And, you, and there's nothing you can do. You can't suppress it. And you, you're trying to be tactical or whatever else. And, and you're just laughing. But it was like that on top of the ship. I started to laugh and I couldn't stop. And it wasn't because of being injured. It wasn't this adrenaline or anything. It was just, it was funny. And the things people were saying and doing, you know, and I just found some things funny. And that's just the way I am. Just the way I am. Simon, are you are you all right to chat for a bit? Have you got to, to, to get on? I don't want to. No, no, I'm fine. I'm can, fine. Um, can I ask you know, a favour in that case? Do, when you're doing your public speaking, you must tell a few jokes. I'm guessing. Uh, no, I don't. I don't really tell jokes. I I tell stories. I don't tell jokes. Um, can you could you just tell our audience a little story? Because I've got to go and um, punch a bear. And uh, I'll, I'll be right back. Okay, well, you better be quick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, the, 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 the one little story is a story that goes from uh, on top of the ship. And I'm looking down this big long line of burnt faces and people that look really, really bad, you know, blisters and skin hanging off them because they've been burnt, which is a horrible picture to see. And people smouldering because the clothes have been on fire. And... Uh, so all these charcoal faces and burnt faces and I look along and there's one face that's white and it's not burnt at all and I said to him I said oh what's happened to you boy and he said oh squeaky because I used to call me in the Welsh guard squeaky he said oh squeaky that's the end of our war I said why what's happened to you he said well I was in the wardroom which is like the officers mess for those who aren't in initiated into the military parlances uh, it was in the wardroom and we were watching blue movies, mucky movies. And when the bomb hit, a picture fell off the wall and the corner stuck in the top of his head and he had to have four stitches. <laughs> and the, the dull sod thought his war was over for four stitches. Well, I started to laugh. And it, it just just one of those moments, just one of those moments. And you can't you can't replace or repeat those moments. It's just one of those moments that happens. Um, and he just made me laugh and uh, a lovely lovely man a lovely lovely man and uh, and a guy I, I've always liked and I've always had a great deal of time for but um, so yeah he, he never got really injured just when the bomb hit he was watching blue movies and a picture fell off the wall stuck on the top of his head he thought his war was done um, and it just it just started me laughing and then other things happened and that started me laughing and and I pretty much have never stopped. You know, I've had my, my sad moments, as Chris has alluded to about the moment I was screaming when I got back, but that was because they were taking me off a stretcher and I'd been on the dressings for the best part of um, 48, 72 hours, something like that. Um, and they'd all, they'd all adhered to me, all the foam had adhered to my body. And, um, and when they moved me, obviously it hurt. 
and I only weighed eight stone. I was 18 and a half when I was in the army because I played rugby um, and I was a prop forward. And uh, the next thing you know, they're, they're moving an eight stone guy about after three and a half weeks. Um, but I was just in, in shock and pain. And it took three and a half weeks to get us home from the Falklands after being injured uh, because they thought I was going to die and it wasn't any point in moving me. Um, and they thought if they did move me, I was definitely going to die. But if I'd have stayed down there, I probably would and waited till the ship came, came home. I would have died anyway. So <clears throat> it was difficult. It was difficult, a very difficult time. Um, Simon, how, if I may ask, how, how has it been? Because I'm aware, having been through the same situation myself, albeit on a on a on a, uh, a lesser scale, and by that I'm referring to the fact that my best friend drowned when we were on holiday together, um, and how was it for you having to negotiate those relationships of the families that of the forty eight? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to choose my words carefully, but all kinds of grief, you know, grief manifests in many different ways, doesn't it? There's, there's blame, there's loss, there's upset, there's anger, there's what if it was done like this? What if they'd only done this? And of course, you're there as a almost like um, not a figurehead, it's not the right word, but you're a, you're you're a focal point in all of this. Did was well, that became, hard for you? Yeah, well, I became what somebody coined as the face of the Falklands, um, and yet it was hard. It was hard to. I, I had to shoulder the responsibility of being the face of the Falklands, um, and I, I wasn't prepared for it. You know, when I was twenty years of age, when I got injured. Uh, I was an immature guardsman. I, I had none of the tools of experience to be able to deal with what I was going to face. Um, and it was difficult. And I'm pretty certain I, I upset a lot of people along the way. And I apologize for that. But it wasn't deliberate. It was just me struggling with a huge amount of, of being in the public eye and, and trying to be the best I could be and the most responsible I could be, but not having it that not having any training or the, the experience in that, I, I made a lot of mistakes and I and I admit that openly. But um, the families, I only met some and, uh, and I have to admit, you know, some of them were that vain as young men, which is not a bad thing because they were, <laughs> they were women sharks. Uh, they, they used to go out um, and I said, I don't know whether they could have coped with having the disfigurement um, had it happened to them, but the families didn't care. They would have rather have had them struggling to deal. Um, but I, I don't know whether they would have dealt with it. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that I'm any greater or any better than them. I'm not. I, I just, I just happened to survive. Um, but it, it was a struggle for me mentally as well. I, you know, it, it seems now, um, almost tried to say it, you know, the, about the suicide and, and all the rest that almost happened because everybody in the auntie's handbag has had a, a mental episode. It seems like you can't be a celebrity without having had one now. 
um, you know, and, and it's got to be said in those ways. You know, it seems like it's a rite of passage for some, so that um, they they can move on that that front. But I, I just think that uh, the ones I met, um, I I tried to be as nice and as polite as I could. Um, the ones I didn't meet, I'm glad I didn't, because I didn't want I, I didn't want to carry the burden. It mm. was a lot to put on one person's shoulders. Um, but over the years, I hope that for the mistakes I've made, I've made amends. I hope that I've been able to give the families that have met me and haven't met me um, somebody to be proud of as a representative of their, their loved one who never made it home. I know I couldn't have done that for all of them because you know not everybody can like everybody and there'll be some sort of animosity just because I survived from one or two, um, which I know is a fact anyway. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I, I just tried to do my best, just tried to be me and trying to live my life as well as trying to live my life to, to pay tribute and to be that responsible person who kept the Falklands alive for a lot of people, you know, because as a conflict, there's a lot of people in Britain have never heard of it. Um, and for that reason alone, those people who have, hopefully I've played a part in keeping our conflict alive so that their memories is never forgotten. Their memories are, are not just cast aside and they're not just a name on some obscure war memorial somewhere and nobody will ever know. You know, hopefully we'll be able to keep the last defence of British territory alive for some people. Um, and I wish rock and film stars who seem to have an opinion now on it all um, would shut the hell up and learn about the history of the islands rather than come up with some sort of bland, bland statement just because they're in the rock and pop world. They seem to think that they have some sort of deeper knowledge. Uh, when, they, when somebody says, we should give it back, give what back? The Argentinians never owned the Falklands. They never settled the Falklands. Read your history before you make statements. It was only ever settled by the French and us. And the French wouldn't hack it. And there were 75 families from Scotland that went down there and settled it. And they were all Highland farmers who were very, very hardy people. And they're the ones who made the islands what it was, the sheep farming industry and everything else. Um, so, you know, other people should, you know, if you, if you haven't got something constructive to add to the conversation, shut the hell up. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what you're talking about, you know, it'd be like me, if uh, we've, we've, we've discussed COVID, if, it was, if I was to talk about the science behind COVID, Simon Weston, shut the hell up you know not what you're talking about and he's absolutely true and unless you do your history and do your research then and only then can you contribute a positive or negative part of the debate about the islands as it is there are 2,000 some 2,000 plus people who live there who have chosen to remain under British sovereignty and protection and the flag and because of that and that alone we should respect them you know, 
Earth doesn't know who lives on it. Earth will be there when we're all gone. But who lives on that Earth and who chooses who protects them, that is down to the people who have settled it, made a success of it, brought an industry to it, and brought wealth to it. And there is wealth there. Mm. And people bang on about the oil. Well, the oil won't be used in the next 20 years because we will stop using oil. So the oil makes no difference. And we didn't know about the oil until 20 or more years after the Falklands. They didn't know there was definitely oil down there. So, you know, people need to stop making it up because they need something to say. It's like a lot of people on social media. They make stories up. I had one girl saying how I bullied her sister in the army. I never served with a single woman. In all the years I served in the Welsh Guards, we never had a single woman work with our regiment. We may have had intelligence personnel, but I never got to meet them. But nobody ever worked with me. So for me to have picked on a woman or done anything to a woman is absolute fabrication. And my career was over by the time I was 20, just short of my 21st birthday. I, was, I spent a large part of that in the rugby team and there were no women playing rugby at that point in time. So I, for a year, over a year, I didn't see anybody. Then we were doing public duties and there were no women doing public duties. And, and I was in the mortars and there were no women to do with anything to do with that because we were always out live firing and training. So I never, ever got to work with any single woman. And more's the pity, more's the pity because there are some incredible women in the military, you know, I, I, but I, that never happened. So people make stuff up and they lie. And I told that girl as well, because I saw the story, I said, you're a liar. Don't tell lies about me. If you write anything like this again, I will sue you. Because it was an absolute aberration of my real character. Yes. So don't don't make things up and lie. You know, but that's that's the sad thing. And that's what's happened about the Falklands and people have sort of made things up in their own mind, thinking that they know what went on. You know, um, and there are books that write the factual part of what history tells us. And then there's the individual stories of things that we really know went on, you know? Uh, so, but that's what it was, you know, and the Falklands, um, I can never convince other people that don't want to be convinced of the correctness of doing what we did. People want to take political standpoints about Mrs. Thatcher. Um, at the end of the day, she didn't invade the islands. She didn't make the Argentinians invade the islands. The Argentinians did it. Galtieri was an alcoholic wife, Peter, which is fact. It's, it's, that, that is documented. Um, he had raging inflation in his own country. And I'm breaking it down simply for anybody that wants to listen. He had raging inflation, much like the Germans did after the Second World War and Hitler had to deal with at the beginning of, of his campaign to rule the world. Um, the raging inflation. So what he did, he decided to invade the Falklands. And he invaded the Falklands. He chucked off 70, I think it was 70 or 30 some odd Marines or whatever it was that were there, you know, but they did it with about 5,000 Argentinian 
Marines at the time. Um, you know, and the, the officer in charge of the Marines, the British Marines on the island, was very wise. He went, let's just put our hands up, boys. There's no point in this. Apart from South Georgia, where about 30 odd of them went down there to see what was going on down there. And they ran the Argentinians ragged, sunk the submarine, brought down a helicopter and uh, inflicted a lot of damage, but ran out of food, water and ammunition. And on that basis alone, they went, uh, well, the, the co-op is closed, so we'll, uh, we'll have to surrender today. Um, and those guys got taken prisoner. Uh, you know, there was not a lot you could do. But the islands now, they got returned back to the people who wanted to live there peacefully, in harmony with the rest of the world, not threatened by Argentina. Um, and that's what we gave them the right to do. So that's what it was all about. Just returning sovereignty, the right to self-determination and democracy to people that had done no harm to anyone and deserved it. And quite rightly so. Uh, you know, but you have people who've, even guys from my own regiment who've decided to get political about it, but because they, they preferred um, one side of the politics to the other side, so they hated Margaret Thatcher anyway, they decided to take a standpoint on it. Um, unfortunate for them, because realistically we were paid to do a job, not paid for our opinion. Mm. Signed up, you sign up in the army, you're going to do things you don't necessarily enjoy or feel is right. But at the end of the day, that's your job. So get on with it. And don't don't take it personally. You know, much like the crisis we're in now. If people calm down and stop taking it so personally, just try their best. I know it's difficult in very harsh circumstances because people are losing their jobs. People are struggling financially. People are struggling emotionally. But if they can, if it's at all possible, try not to take it personally. It's not, you know, and we can't hurry it up and make it move quicker by by eating too many oranges or or doing whatever. We can't change what's going to happen. So the best thing we can all do is try and be as patient as we possibly can, be as tolerant with each other as we possibly can and, and love each other. Um, and, and hopefully we'll get through it far, far quicker and far, far more simply. But I, I don't know, there's so many conspiracy theories going on. I do have to ask the question, though, how can it start in one place and only one city got affected by it when you've got a population of about 2 billion people and yet the rest of the world, um, it, it seems to have taken a far, far greater hold. I don't understand that. Yeah, you don't want to. You're asking the wrong man because I'll. Um, Are you a conspiracy? I could do a lecture on all, all all that alone, but let's let's save that for another day. What I wanted, <laughs> did want to ask you, Simon, is um, is what was it like to go back to the Falklands? Um, it was pretty cool, apart from the abuse I got from some of the young women down there. Um, it was pretty cool. People were very respectful. Um. I got some abuse from young women who, one was uh, allegedly a nurse and I could change my appearance if I wanted to. I could get rid of all my burn scars if I wanted to. So she clearly hadn't paid much attention to the medical teaching she'd been given. Um, and apparently her and her sister saw more of the war than I did because they were held in a community center because the Argentinians flooded Goose Green and uh, they locked them up in a community centre. Well, 
if that's what they call seeing more of the war, then fine. Um, I only needed to see one bit of it, and the bit I saw was pretty bloody dramatic. Um, you know, the war only lasted 30 days, so I, I don't can I, see... Can I just ask you, Simons, um, had you been ashore and then you got put on... The... Yeah, we were on shore for a week. We were on shore for a week. Ah. You know, we had an air raid, um, but the weather was so crap, you know, you, you couldn't fly. So um, when the cloud was very low, it was pointless anybody flying. So you were, you prayed for low cloud because the enemy couldn't find you. Mm. Um, so we were there for about five, six, maybe seven days on land. And uh, we started to march, but our equipment was getting bogged down. And we had a tractor with mortar kit on and anti-tanks and what have you. And that stuff was getting bogged down all the time. And uh, we were having to, because the tracks and the, the, were very, very poor over there. Um, so we were having to lift the trailers out of the mud all the time. Well, it would have been far better if we just packed it on our backs and walked with it. But in the end, they decided once we got to the top of the mountain and said hello to Tupara, we could march back down the hill, then taken off and put on board um, Fearless. And Fearless got round to Lively Island. Weather was horrendous that night. We only had two Foxtrot boats with us, um, the landing craft. Uh, so they can only take so many people off the ship. And it took them about eight hours to travel eight miles because the weather was so horrendous and it taken the, the boats. And as you know, they, they've only got a certain limit in whether they can survive. Otherwise they'll, they'll capsize. Anyway, they managed to get them around and the guys got taken off in Fitzroy and they got him put, put in sheep sheds with uh, three, uh, two or three para. Um, and while they were in there, um, they were all sort of standing around with hypothermia because it was soaking wet and the kit was rubbish. Anyway, they decided they wouldn't risk fearless too close inland uh, because their pilots were pretty, pretty accurate, um, as I was to find out to my cost later on. Um, but what happened then was they, they brought us back around, not wanting to risk fearless too close into land. And then they put us on board of um, Sir Galahad, which as, as anybody who's been in the military knows, those were logistic ships. They were moving, they were for moving um, vehicles and troops. They weren't for anything else. And they had second world war both for guns, which were no good against jets. Um, and uh, well, the rest became history then. Have you ever met that pilot, the one that, that dropped the, the, the missile that took you out? Yeah, yeah, dropped a 500-pound bomb. The bomb didn't detonate straight away. It went through one engine room, through another engine room, and into the engine room it settled in, and it ignited all the fuel in there, which blew out over us, and then that detonated the 500-pound bomb. Um, but, yeah, I met Carlos, um, a really nice guy, a really good guy. He's only doing his job. You know, uh, it wasn't personal. Like I say, this isn't personal, but it that wasn't personal. He did. He said to me, he said, I didn't realise there were so many people on board the ship. He said, I didn't realise um, there were so many nice people. I said, they were all nice. Well, nearly all, you know. You can't like everybody you serve with, can you? Um, you just have to get on with them. But the, the reality was that, uh, yeah, he's a really good guy. Really good guy. Um regrets what happened, regrets the war, but 
but he believes his nation was correct. You know, and how can you disagree with him? You know, that's what he was told. That's what he was brought up to believe. So, you know, he, he believed what he believed. And, and again, that, the rest of that is history. You know, I, I can't argue with what he was saying. Or like to tell him that he was wrong, which I did. But Carlos and I became very firm friends. We're, we're good friends. Um, I'm not I'm not one of these people who wants to argue about things forever. Ultimately, I, I met somebody from my conflict that did something uh, from the opposite side. Very few people from modern conflicts, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan especially, are ever going to meet the people that they saw inflict lots of damage on their compatriots, on their friends, on their the members of their regiments, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll never do that because of the nature of the Taliban, the nature of ISIS, the nature of uh, other insurgents. Um, but we, we had that fortune, but that didn't go down well with some people as well. You know, um, what can I say? What can I say? You know, I didn't do it for other people. When I met him, I was doing it for me because my mental health state was very, very fractured. I was broken. Yeah, a lot of people just won't ever understand, will they? And the, the thing about going through deep trauma is when you, you, you come out the other side GPS. and um, you, 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 you go for a transformation in your psyche and you no longer live in your ego, which is what we did as young soldiers, wasn't it, you know? Yeah. about getting in there and smashing it and how good you look and how much beer you can drink and is your regiment better than the next one and all of this sort of stuff and sadly well I say sadly I say sadly for them a lot of men I'm guessing and women grow up and they don't ever have a life-changing event that makes them have to get out of that ego Right, because if you stay in that ego, you're just unhappy and you will drink yourself to death. And you've got to seize that enlightenment moment and step out of it. And then the world becomes the way that, that Simon's telling it now, one of love, peace, empathy, understanding, non-judgment. And it's the same for me. I mean, we, we suffered a loss in Northern Ireland, a, a death, uh, one of our boys shot dead. We, the guy behind me got shot three times. Then the sniper turned his sights on me. I, I remember it because I was wondering why the, the ground was pinging up at my, my feet, right? Well, I would have no problem going and speaking to, let's say, a reformed IRA man, someone who, like me, has grown up and has a different viewpoint on the world now yeah. yeah i've met i've met formed ira men i've met people from the ira um i won't say we'll ever be great friends but there was a mutual respect mm. and i found the chap that i met and the people with him from his own party i met him at stormont and uh, he he was asked, did he have any problem meeting Simon Weston, who obviously with a military history? And he said, absolutely not. He said he's no longer serving. 
and he's no longer over here. He said, I have no problem with that. And uh, he was asked then, would anybody else in his party have a problem with meeting me? And he said, uh, I thought this was hugely magnanimous. And I thought it just goes to show, even though these people were very principled about their hatred for the crown and the way that things were, he turned around and he said, if they have a problem with him, then they have a problem with me. And, you know, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect it. I hoped for it, but I didn't expect it. Expect it. Um, and it made a big difference for me um, whilst I was there because I, I felt so much more comfortable because I knew that people that could make my life very difficult, um, there wasn't the will, certainly with the old, the old movement. Um, and these people were now trying to find a political way forward, however difficult that is going to be over there. Um, they were trying to find a new way forward. And uh, I was very grateful for that. I've got to be honest. Um, so that, that's an abiding memory of meeting somebody, another person that had been in opposition to, to us. Um, but it just goes to show, you know, you, you, you can. You can get on with people even though you don't agree. And there's a lot of people in my life now that, that don't agree with me and I don't agree with them. But that's one thing, one of the things you learn, one of the many things you learn in the military. You don't have to like people to get on with them. Or you don't have to like their opinion to get on with them. You know, you can still like them as a person, but they may have political standpoints or religious standpoints that you agree with or disagree with. But you can still be friends. You know, it just takes a bit of maturity. Yeah, and I, I could take that one stage further and say, you know, when you're a teenager and you're given what is essentially a machine gun, the SA-80 was an automatic, fully automatic uh, rifle, and you're you're sent to patrol along the main street in a in a in a, in a major city, in your in your depending on your perspective, but for me, obviously it was in my nation, it was in Great Britain. And at every single second we were on patrol, and I know you've been over there, Simon, it, it was, you were a hair's breadth away from killing someone. And you're a teenager, and you're a hair's breadth away from basically killing another teenager. <laughs> okay, yeah. maybe your, your IRA soldiers older, right? You're well, some <laughs> That's the problem. Some were, some weren't. You just didn't know. And you're a hair's breadth away from getting blown up by by an IED at any second. We had a few lads taken out by by IEDs. And um, I, the point I'm getting to is, like, maybe if I was to meet that guy that had shot at me. Maybe that's the bit, of, if we, we've all grown up, is what I'm saying, and we've all d learned a bit of humanity, maybe, maybe that's closure for me and my life story, you know? Maybe yeah. In, in, in the same way for you, meet me and the pilot, Simon. I'm not yeah. saying, I should just say, I'm not looking for it, folks. I'm not, I'm, my, my, I live in paradise. Once you're in paradise, you can't go any further. So I'm <laughs> perfectly content. But I'm just, put, I'm just putting it out there, you know, if, if I want to meet people in my life, that's up to me. Not I don't. I'm not really going to factor in too much what other people think. 
so long as I'm not purposely setting out to hurt them. Now you can reconcile a lot with people, um, but talking is is a huge thing, and um, if you can make make that work for you, then brilliant. You know, um, they they did have the peace and reconciliation peace and reconciliation talks in South Africa. You know, and they did a huge amount of good um, because a huge amount was settled. Mm. But you know, it's 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 really difficult. You know, I I I don't want to over egg the pudding, but at the end of the day, um, you know, we we get to where we're going together. You know, um, no party I've ever been to is great on your own. <laughs> you know, um, I've done that a few times. <laughs> yeah, haven't we all? You know, and that's why I don't drink very much anymore. Um, but the fact of the matter is, no part, no party is great on your own. No celebration is great on your own. No victory dance is great on your own. You know, uh, it needs to be with other people. And the more of us that we can, we can bring along with us. That whether they share fully your beliefs or your understandings or your desires, as long as they're willing to compromise. Um, and not necessarily acquiesce, but compromise. You know, I don't want anybody doing things that they really, really strongly don't believe in, but you can get there if you're willing to, to compromise and to try just to believe that somebody else has a valid point. And that's all it's about, really, isn't it? You know, um, there, there are lots of things, you know, I could go on and on and on. I won't, but, um, and the people who are listening or watching, oh, We'll see. Thank God for that. Uh, but, <laughs> but no, you I mean there are so many different things mm. and so many different standpoints. But at the end of the day, um, we have to get on. We have to get on with each other. It doesn't matter how much we disagree. Fundamentally, at some point, we're going to have to get on with the Taliban. We're going to have to get on with ISIS or the remnants of it, uh, Al-Shabaab. Um, all of these different fringe groups that exist in the world, at some point, we're all going to have to start to learn to live together. Um, and it's only then will we be able to take the world forward. But at the moment, the people who keep stoking the flames of fire are those people who are getting something out of it. You know. Yes. Yes, of course, greedy little men with their big, you know, big egos and, and even bigger bank accounts. Simon, well, yeah. can we, can, can I, I, I just want to, uh, um, before we close, just talk a bit about your sort of celebrity life. And I wondered if we could start with what's it like to be on This Is Your Life? Terrifying. I, I'm not joking you. I was terrified. But the, the great thing about uh, Michael Aspel was he came from behind the wall because uh, we were down in Purbright at the assault course. And he came from behind the wall <clears throat> and he thought that I was going to punch him because I was so taken aback. I was so stunned. And uh, they thought that I, he thought I was going to chin him. Um, but I, I, was, I was so wound up by it. I was so taken aback by it. And um, yeah, I'm not very good with that sort of surprise. 
you know, I don't do I don't do surprises of that nature terribly well. Um, there are nice surprises. Like I'd be surprised if I ever won the lottery, but that's a nice surprise. Uh, did it, no... did it, do you think it triggered a bit of PTSD because it's it's that similar thing? What well, you know, you've had, you've had a big surprise in your life. Yeah, no, I don't know whether it did. I think the PTSD was still there, you know. Um, but it it was just a big surprise. It was a very great honour. Big surprise. Um, I couldn't wait for it to be finished. I couldn't wait for it to be finished. Um, I, I can't say that I enjoyed the whole thing at all. I didn't. Um, I am the most... I, without doubt the most reluctant celebrity you ever came across mm. lots of people want to be famous they don't know what they want to be famous for a lot of people are famous and really you wonder why they're famous i was thrust into the public eye because of what had happened to me and because of the films that were made about me but i i didn't particularly want to be famous i didn't particularly want to be in the public eye uh, i just found myself there and um and again, you know, I go back to what I said earlier on. I made mistakes. Um, I said and did things that probably some people were upset or offended by. But I didn't do it deliberately. I didn't do it because I wanted to do it. I did it because I was out of control with my own emotions, with the way I was feeling. And, um, and yeah, I mean, some of it was to do with the PTSD, but I didn't know because it wasn't, it wasn't a diagnosed illness at that point in time. So, you know, all of those things... They, they, they all help to play on on the pain and the suffering that you've had and you're going through. And, and if it regurgitates it and brings it all up and forward for you, it can be problematic and it's good and it's bad. You know, getting it out is good. How it comes out, that can be very, very bad and very destructive. So, so being in a public eye was, was very weird, you know, um, but as life moved on, I got to deal with it. I got to handle it a lot better because I became more mature within that world. But it 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 was it was hard to deal with, you know. I wasn't um, <laughs> I wasn't the most wanton celebrity. I've got to be honest with you, and that's why I always find it hard that people want to pump their lips up, lift their eyes, tighten their faces at the age of fourteen, fifteen, and then. Uh, out at a camera on a phone and expect that to make them wealthy, you know, and all these influencers, dear God alive, how people are easily led and taken down the road by all these influencers who uh, were out there saying, use this cream, use that smoke, use this. Really? Is that what you're going to base your life on? You know, rather than your own experiences, rather than getting some falsification? You know, you had that one chap who did all the makeup and he ended up going to Birmingham and he shut down the whole bullring. You know, it's like kid from America. Like, really? You know, but uh, who am I to say, you know, young people, they're all influenced by modern mediums now and um, uh, good luck to them. But, you know, it's how you come back from it is the point. Because if you embrace it and you immerse yourself in it completely, how do you come back from it? You know, yeah, of course. People uh, are making fortunes from playing games, aren't they? You know, on electronic games. And now they're having leagues and people are supporting different players. It's like, really? 
you know, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm by all that stuff. Have you, I bet you've been asked to do some pretty stupid celebrity things over the years. Is, is there many things you've turned down? And um, I've turned down some stuff. Um, I got asked to do Big Brother. Um, celebrity Big Brother, I turned that down. That's was, really not, it's not your thing, is it? Um, no. I mean, what, standing there and opening yourself up to ridicule and, you know, because I, I would let myself down in the eyes of people because I would say things that people wouldn't want to hear. Um, because as tolerant as I am, I don't suffer fools. Um, and, you know, if I was on something like that or the jungle or something and somebody was in there going, oh, I didn't want to be here, I wanted to be with my kids. And what did you think you were going in there to do? You know, seriously. At what point did you think it was going to be anything less than three weeks away from your loved ones? You know, seriously. So, you know, I don't know, I, 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 that sort of stuff would have got me down um, and I would have got quite irked by that. And I probably would have upset or offended people. But the good thing about that was I would have only been in the jungle or in the house for about a week and they'd have thrown me out. <laughs> so... Uh, and it didn't matter how long you stayed in there, you still get paid the same for being there. Um, the only difference is you didn't win the final prize. But um, no, I mean, look, you've got to speak your mind, you've got to speak as you feel and see. Um, you don't have to be rude about it, you just have to be truthful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what I would have been. So I got offered to do that. Um, I got asked to do stuff. Um, there was a comedian who I don't particularly find very funny, but... Uh, He's quite outrageous and says some pretty stupid things in my eyes. Um, and they wanted me to be at the front of his show, you know, saying, so-and-so, I don't want to watch that. What's he all, yeah. And that would have, uh, and I went, not a chance. I'm not giving him any oxygen, you know. Um, so there, there was that offer. Um, <clears throat> and there's, there's one or two other things that came along. Um but it, as you say, it's not me. Um, I'm not a showman. I'm I'm good at getting on stage and speaking and doing motivational stuff and inspira- more inspirational than motivational. Because I think inspiration, you can be inspired by other people. Um, motivation that comes from within. I don't think anybody motivates you from out. You know, if somebody says, come on, you can run fast, you can jump higher. Well, I'm giving you everything I've got. So, you know, if I can't motivate myself to do it, whatever you're shouting at me is not going to get it to happen. Um, you can inspire me by being really good at what you do and your coaching and everything else. Inspiration is great, but motivation, no, that comes from within. Hmm. Inspiration comes from without. There are some incredibly inspiring people um, that I've seen over my lifetime that have that have done incredible things from all walks of life, from the the disabled athletics world to people who I've been on stage with who have done incredibly good things politically, satirically, um, entertainment-wise, who've had disability and uh, have inspired me to to always be true to yourself. Um, so there's lots and lots of different things that are out there and people. So, no, I've, uh, I've turned down 
some of the daft things. Um, I don't know how I feel about... Uh, I, I, I didn't go with a company that offered to make a film about my life. Um, and uh, I may st still revisit it, but maybe the opportunity is gone. Uh, but that, that would be interesting because it would mean me going back to before we got blown up, what we were doing. Uh, but it would also give a voice to some of those guys who died, my friends. And, uh, you know, you could actually introduce them in a way they've never been introduced and their families could see it. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that that's something I should do. Uh, I see Colonel Tom or Captain Tom has signed a seven-figure sum fee for doing his film. Um, but, you know, when I was asked to do it, there was virtually no money on the table at all. You know, people would have thought that I'd made millions out of it if I'd have made a film. Uh, it was only a couple of grand, that's all it was. Mm. You know, <laughs> seriously, not even not even £10,000 was on the table. So, uh, you know, and, and, and at the end of the filming, the maximum I, I would have made would have been seven and a half grand, so uh, so that that played a huge thought process in why I wasn't going to make the film and give people the right to my books. Um, if there was something more productive in it, then I, you know I'm being as honest as I can be. Uh, then I might go with it, but it, it's you know we will see, we'll see. I mean, never say never. Um, there are some incredible things on the horizon. Get COVID out of the way. Uh, we'll see where those incredible things take us. At the moment, it's put a hold on a lot of things. There's a huge amount on the table for me at the moment, but I can't move it too far forward. All I can do is concentrate on um, little bits of speaking. This is the only podcast I've done. Um, doing little bits of speaking uh, on the internet and also um, working on my security company doing the cleaning and the, the facilities management, doing the cleaning and the security officers. Uh, that's all we can do. Have you got any, any books in the pipeline, Simon? Because you're quite, you've, you're quite a prolific writer, aren't you? Or, or you have been in the past, at least. I have been. Um, there, there was, there was a, a thought process about... Uh, it's classed as a self-help book, but really what it was was pointing out some of the things that I've identified that I think are not as good or as productive as some people perhaps think they are in the future uh, and what's going on right now you know and part of it was looking at so-called influencers and the fact that there are more real people in the world that you should look to to influence your decision and whether that be um you know like somebody somebody who i, I hugely admire and i like a lot um, I'd like to call her a friend, but I don't know whether I know her well enough for us to be that, but we are very friendly. Uh, is Dame Tani Gray Thompson. Um, and I, I think she's done a huge amount for so many people. Um, she's, she's shown that so much can be achieved. She was one of the, she, I think she was the first major female um, wheelchair athlete. Um, uh, the, the, there was another Welsh boy that also was that um, Shades. In name now, but they called him Shades from um, from South Wales, who was a wheelchair athlete. Um, so there's lots of people to look to, to get real influence from, to be impressed by as to how they live their life, 
and how they give back to people. Um, <clears throat> and I think maybe that's where we should be starting to push the influence towards young people. But young people are going to gravitate to young people. And if that means by sticking collagen in their top lip or their bottom lip or both, or pulling putting bulldog clips on the back of your head or whatever it is, or, I don't know, using makeup in a different way, I don't know, you know. But if, if that's what it takes, uh, then that's what it does. But if people are going to be influenced by a family of a solicitor um, when they've no perceivable talents, or, but, you know, they, they seem to have made millions out of being celebrities on pathetic shows as far as I'm concerned I've never watched any of them um, you know th that's the way it's going to be there's nothing I can do or ch say or change it but I would love young people to to stop and, and smell the coffee sniff the daisies see what real life is all about get into the countryside and enjoy it you know and and do something that I learned when I was a schoolboy. take nothing but photographs leave nothing but your footprints mm -hmm. And that, that's my take on the world, you know, uh, albeit that I've been to two conflict zones um, and that wasn't always going to be possible. But the reality is that uh, wherever I go in the world now, if I can't leave my mark in a positive way, the only thing I hope to leave is my footprints and the only thing I want to take away from it are the photographs and the memories. Um, so that that's pretty much my take on it. Well... You've left more than footprints on this podcast, Simon, because I'm pretty sure our young people will go away from this and they'll have a lot to think about. And and I hope it just enables them to live the fulfilling life that, that you and I have and to be able to get to the grand age of, uh, well, I'm 21 now and uh, I'm very happy. <laughs> yeah. Twenty-one years past your prime, just like me. Yeah, Simon, listen, just stay on the line because I've got a small favour um, to discuss with you. Okay. Just, just going to say our official goodbye. So, first of all, to your good self, um, absolutely one of the most inspirational people on the planet today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I'm trying to. Uh, hold it together now but thank you so much Simon um just just for everything and thank you for coming on the podcast not a problem listen to everybody out there good luck stay safe stay patient it'll 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 end as quick as it started and we'll all get back to some sort of normality and just keep the humanity in your heart that's all we need that's all we need common sense and humanity we'll be all right thank you Simon to everybody at home massive love to you and your families look after each other. If you could like and subscribe, that would be wonderful. And we'll see you next time. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.